Hi, I'm Sonia Lozada. I'm a best-selling poet and a working actor, and welcome to Cut to the Chase. Stepping out beyond boundaries takes courage and the ability to dream. We are excited to share our new audio podcast called Cut to the Chase. The structure of this podcast embodies open dialogue with friends, family, and professional colleagues talking about things that impact our ability to thrive. We hope that you will join our unscripted, unbridled podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Cut to the Chase, episode 122, entitled Jess Sonia. Now, everybody's going to go, huh? What? Jess Sonia? Wait a minute. What are we going to be talking about, Jess Sonia? Well, I have to tell you guys that today I've got a featured guest, phenomenal. Just an absolute phenomenal lady. She's done a lot of great things in TV and film, as well as poetry. And I believe in all due respect for all of her great body of work that it was proper due diligence for me and my team to just name this podcast Just Sonia in representation of her. And so as we get started with today's podcast, I have a quote. And that quote goes like this, give yourself permission to immediately walk away from anything that gives you bad vibes. There is no need to explain or make sense of it. Just trust what you feel. And so our featured guest today is a guest or our featured guest today is a poet. She's a performer. She's an established actor with the perception of time, history, and dreams in psychology and metaphysics. She was also an entertainer from a very early age in dancing songs and telling funny stories. She continued to pursue her acting journey and her love for poetry as it propelled her to write several number one poetry books with a five-star rating on Amazon. Her number one best-selling publication includes Inspire Me, which was written back in 2007, Uh, Akashi Dreaming Through Times, which was written in 2019, and Inspire Me Perception, which was written in 2019 as well. And her upcoming book, which is entitled Inspire Me in the Time of Need, which is a third in the Aspire Me series. Her poetry has always been a way of explaining bicultural worlds around her. As an actor for both stage and screen, she's appeared in films such as Out of the Wild and Expired, among others. Her podcast, entitled Poet Resurrection, launched in February of 2001 with a great acceptance and her book following Asking Dreams, through times is currently being adopted for film. And I'm sure I didn't pronounce that right. Akashic. (laughs) Akashic. There we go. I just thought about that when I was looking. I was like, wait a minute, I didn't read that right. But anyway, without further ado, we would like to introduce Miss Sonia and ask if you have any opening remarks. Hi. uh, No, I am open to whatever you would like to discuss. As you know, my my history came from... A rags to riches kind of story, even though um, I was always brought up to be very 
positive and respectful. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I so, think that might be a, a cultural thing too. Right. So, so as we look back into your history, you were born and raised in Chicago, if I'm not mistaken. Correct. But your 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 descent comes from Puerto Rico. Is that correct? You have Puerto correct. Rican parents. Mm-hmm. And so, yes. and so, basically, in your household as you grew up as uh, as an adolescent, uh, were you ever considering that your your life's journey would be um, acting or you know poetry? I mean, what were your ambitions as a child? As a child, I always was an entertainer. Um, I couldn't wait for family to come over so I could start dancing and performing in front of them, which, you know, that's what I did. I would watch TV and want to be part of that. So I always had the entertainment bug. Plus, my mom's family are all musicians. So I do come from a musical family. Mm -hmm. And so I was uh, singing. When I came down to L.A., I came to study advanced fashion design. Mm-hmm. And realized that I really didn't want to do that because I went to college so that I wouldn't be a laborer like my parents were. Mm-hmm. And they took me downtown and showed me the sweatshops and told me, this is where you're going to work. And I'm like, oh, no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I left that. But I started pursuing uh, music. I was in a couple of bands. And then a friend of mine had a heart attack and said, can I please give you acting lessons because I can't leave the house. Mm-hmm. So I said, sure. And he gave me acting lessons, and then I got bit by the bug. And I've been doing that for about 30 years now. Right, right. So certainly, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, you know, excitement, there's lights, and there's glam, you know, as it relates to obviously being an actor or an actress um, out there in L.A. in the Hollywood area. But then there's always, you know, these you know, perceptions or misconceptions of what it's really like to be an actor or an actress. Could you share with us really, you know, kind of on a day to day, is being an actor like going to a nine to five job or is that something that there's really kind of a misconception about being an actor or an actress? I think there's a lot of misconceptions about being an actor. Mm-hmm. Because many people think it's so glamorous. It's actually a lot of work. Mm -hmm. And if you want to know what it's like not to get a job or be, um, what do you call it, rejected, Mm -hmm. be an actor. Because you're going to learn really well what it's like to be rejected. After a while, you don't take it personally because at first you do. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, what did I do wrong? Was I too short, too tall? You don't know how Mm -hmm. you get chosen. I've been, there's a thing that's called pinned that comes from the old fashioned movies where they would have a big cork board and they would pin you. And then they would have all the actors they were considering to see how they look with each other. Mm -hmm. If you get pinned, basically you're just being chosen to see if you're going to get the role. Mm -hmm. I have been pinned so many times. And then I get that horrible call that says you've been unpinned. I'm like, oh. Mm. You cannot rely on acting to make money. Mm -hmm. It should really be a joy because if you're doing it to get fame and fortune, no, it's not. Some people are lucky. Do you Mm -hmm. know that only 5% of all the actors in SAG can make a living out of acting? 5%. That's nothing. 
Wow. Yeah. I'm one of the 95%. Mm. You know, sometimes I've had good years and then other times I've had terrible years. But it's something that you really have to love to do because it's a lot of work. And right mm -hmm. now during the pandemic, we had to do a lot of self-taping. I actually had to do a self-taping on Tuesday. And now you're the director, the <laughs> you're everything. You're the director, the cinematographer, mm -hmm. and the actor because you want to give something that looks like a good performance. Mm -hmm. And uh, so if you love acting, go for it. You should always follow your dreams, but understand that you have to give it time. If you can book a TV series within the first five years of your acting career, mm -hmm. you're you're so lucky. That mm -hmm. rarely happens. Right. You know, right. but and and the industry is mostly men. Right. Right. You know, it, most of the parts are for men. Yeah. So it it is difficult if you're young now. It's great time because there's a lot of shows that are for the youth. Mm-hmm. And I would never tell anybody, don't follow your dreams because it's a yearning and, and you get bit by the bug and you really want to do it. And sure. right now in my life, I'm kind of done with the auditioning process and all of that. I'm, I love being on the set. I would lie if I didn't because it's exciting mm -hmm. to be on the set. Mm -hmm. But it is, it is work. And right. most of the time, you don't get the job. Yeah, yeah. You know, when you think about, you know, the fact of pursuing your dream and, you know, there's a lot of rejection, you know, that comes um, with that, you know, it really tends to um, set in your soul. As, as you've said, you know, you begin to wonder, are you good enough or are you, you know, uh, not good enough? Uh, to to continue to pursue this. Mm -hmm. And I guess the point that I want to make is there is a sense of mental and emotional toughness that you have to have as an actor. I mean, what you shared with us, I've heard from other actors that, you know, I've had discussions with as far as it's it's not a typical nine to five job. It's not a career uh, that you would consider that uh, all the time you're going to have, you know, money in the bank. You know, you really have to, like you said, you have to have a yearning for it. Um, and it has to be something that you truly love if you're going to continue to pursue it because of all the ups and downs. Correct. But, but overall, you know, with regards to, to acting, um, you know, particularly as relates to you being a woman um, and like you said, in a male dominating industry, there's a lot of things that have happened in the Me Too movement. There's a lot of things that have happened, um, I'm sure, as you came up through the ranks in acting there in Hollywood, that has really kind of casted a spotlight on some of the what I would consider to be bad press, the unethical aspects of, you know, Hollywood and L.A., which has really not made it so uh, desirable for for women because now they fear, you know, the fact of of being violated in a sense where, um, you know, they're at the wrong place at the wrong time. And, you know, they're having to do things that maybe they they don't consider that is is really ethical. I mean, what has that been like in the post 
series of the Me Too movement. You know, we're talking perception of time here, uh, the Harry Weinstein's and all of these things that have happened. I mean, has the industry as a whole changed? I think so. I've been blessed. I, I think I have you know someone watching over me because I always wanted to be able to work on one of Harvey Weinstein's films because his films always went to the Academy Awards. Mm-hmm. And I didn't. I didn't know anything about him. Uh, I'm so glad that didn't happen. Mm-hmm. But I've been blessed. I, I have like someone watching over me. I haven't had those problems. Mm-hmm. I've had I've been very lucky. I've also been on sets where you hear all these horror stories about someone is such a Madonna, not a Madonna, a prima donna. Sure. sure. <laughs> and uh, but I haven't I've gotten along. I think I've been very blessed that there's really no horror stories. I once worked on a film where the lead actress was extremely difficult, but she liked me. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, because I don't. Worst thing you could do when you go on the set is get into the gossip. Sure. When people start gossiping to me, I'm like, I understand. I understand. Right. I remember right. that the lead actress was really upset and she was upset at that uh, a, a crew person. And so in makeup and hair, I'm hearing all about it. Then I come out and then the crew person is telling me all about it. I'm like, okay, I understand. I understand. Right. You cannot get into that. But that was only one one project out of the 30 years I've been in this. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I really feel that I've been blessed. Right. But the Me Too movement doesn't only apply to women. Mm-hmm. It's men too. Men have mm-hmm. been, um, you know, um, molested or mm-hmm. spoken to in condescending manners or, or inappropriate manners. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it, I'm glad it's, in the forefront. I really am. Right. Right. You know, because one of the, one of the things that, uh, for me with all of its, as I call it, it's, it's, you know, there's several major cities here in the U S where people say, you know, you're attracted to the lights and the big dreams, you know, Hollywood and LA has always been one of those. New York's been one of those as well as, you know, Las Vegas. And there's probably several others, Mm-hmm. But with those types of uh, stereotypical or classifications that have been put on those type of cities, you know, it comes with its its drama and its turbulence for an individual to be able to to persevere over the the heartache and setbacks of what it takes to really survive, you know, in those type of industries or for that matter, in those types of cities. And so, you know, as we, as we continue to, to kind of focus in on, on the acting aspect of your career, you know, the next question that I have is, you know, with regards to, like you said, it was an exciting time to be in on the set and, you know, you never ran into any circumstances that were, you know, hard on you. Um, but you, you heard it, you know, and, and, and like mm-hmm. you said, you, you always had the, the, the mannerism and the expectation not to get involved. But I guess the question that I would have is even in those moments of working on a set, 
were these times considered to be wholesome times? I mean, were they were they more like a family type setting? Were they more congruent where people were really focused in on, you know, the really the task at hand? Or like you said, I mean, you, you always have bad apples. But overall, what was the what was the vibe when let's just say Hollywood was was doing its era of 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 booming? Well, what I've noticed um is that when you do go to a set, you want every you you want to get along with everybody, mm-hmm. but it is a job, and I think most people think of the glamour part of it. Because mm-hmm. I worked with Harrison Ford, and mm-hmm. I, and I had friends coming up to me and say, "Oh, well, what was it like to make?" You know, I would have been so nervous, and I said, "Well, you know, it's a job." Right. If I go in there starstruck, even though I might really admire an actor, mm-hmm. I'm I'm not going to get the job done. Right. So I'm not going to, you know, they'll usually they don't replace you because it costs them too much money to replace you at the last minute. And if they replace sure. you as an actor at the last minute, because you really <laughs> you must have really done something because every minute of a production is extremely expensive. Sure. But I think that it's job and you do. Mm. You hope that it's a family. I've walked in when I did NYPD Blue. Mm-hmm. Wow, that was so organized. Mm-hmm. You went in, it's a closed set, you do your job, and you're done. Mm-hmm. And you go home. I, I mm-hmm. loved it. The same thing happened. I did um, General Hospital. My call time was 7 a.m. I was done by 8.30. Mm. It wow. was great. But I've also had jobs where I spent over 12 hours at the at, at the job. Sometimes I think the longest I've ever been on a job for one day was like 15 hours. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Interesting. Quite, quite interesting. And during, and during the time, I guess I'm, I'm, I'm kind of going off tangent here because I'm, oh, go ahead. <laughs> I'm interested in, in some of the back, back behind the scenes, uh, you know, information during those times you're sitting idle, you know, waiting for, you know, your, your script or let's just say your, your uh, scene to come up. I mean, is that like payable time the whole time you're on the, the set? The whole time, as long as you are sitting there. If they said you're there for the day, you're there for the day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Many times there, one time I, I, uh, I was sitting around for hours and I asked if I could go to the store. They go, no. And I said, why? Because if anything happens to you between here and the store, we lost you for the day. Right. So no, we'll we'll get whatever you want. So they actually send somebody to the store to pick up something that I needed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They don't want you off the set. I've been real, you know. In general, I've been so lucky. One time, I had a director in the TV show Las Vegas come up to me, and he's pointing at me like, "You know what you did?" And I, and I'm like, "Uh oh, I mm-hmm. did something wrong." And mm-hmm. he's pointing at me, and he comes up to me and he goes, "You're really funny." <laughs> and then he mm. walked off. Wow. Yeah, so I've I've been lucky. I've been really lucky. I've made friends on the Kasha Dreaming Through Time. Mm-hmm. That one, the it's a, a bunch of individual poems, but at the end it equals up to one. And I'm working with one of the producers from a movie I did called Expired. And before the pandemic hit, we were meeting every week to write. Mm-hmm. So with all of the best-selling publications, as it, particularly as it relates to your your poetry and the books that you um, have written, 
are you in the process? I mean, like you said, with the Akashi uh, dreaming um, through time, are you in the process of trying to uh, really script out, you know, some of your, your poetry and your publications into a series or, or a television segment? Well, that's what we were uh, considering because Akashic Dreaming Through Time, that one is based in different times of history. Like mm-hmm. one time it took place in ancient China. And the reason it was called Akashic Dreaming Through Time was because I kept having these dreams. Mm-hmm. And so I would wake up in the middle of the night and I saw a guy doing pottery and they were all emotional. Like he was so sad. Mm-hmm. And then I saw the number, the date, 300 B.C., And I'm like, okay. So I wrote that down. Mm -hmm. And then I started doing research. Mm -hmm. I started seeing, I put 300 BC, what kind of pottery existed at that time. Mm -hmm. And then I looked at European pottery. No, that wasn't, it wasn't the mood. Then I looked at South American pottery and no, US pottery, American pottery, no. And then I got to the terracotta soldiers Mm -hmm. and I go, that's it. Mm -hmm. So I started doing research on the terracotta soldiers. And even though the person I saw was an artisan and they were highly respected, mm-hmm. they still, I mean, it's, it's a ruler. Shen Chi Huang was the ruler at that time. And he's the one that ordered these made. And so it was, even though, like I said, they were artisans, it mm-hmm. was a very difficult life too. Right. Right. So, you know, you've been quoted as saying that poetry has always been, or poetry has always been a way for you to explain the bicultural worlds. Mm-hmm. What what does that mean? You know, a way for you to explain the bicultural worlds. Well, as a I've been writing poetry since I was a little kid. Of course, when, you know, those are like roses are red, violets are blue. But sure. um, what happened was I went to school. I, I was the first born in the mainland in Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico is part of the United States, but it's Spanish is spoken there. Mm-hmm. And so my parents always spoke Spanish at home. I understood English. I couldn't speak it. Mm-hmm. And being a little kid in the early 60s, you know, um, well, almost mid 60s, it was really difficult because there really was a lot of biases. I was um, punished for not knowing English. Mm-hmm. And so um, I started writing poetry. Mm-hmm. Poetry to me is so subjective that mm-hmm. if people don't like it, you don't care. It's subjective. Right. Even the best poetry, people don't like it. So to me, it gives you permission to just say what you feel. Sure. I didn't public, you know, it, nothing when it, it, I didn't publish any books on it. I just would write my poetry and put it in the drawer because it was very therapeutic for me. Because mm-hmm. when I was growing up, there was no such thing as bilingual education Mm -hmm. you had to be one way and act one way Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so it it really helped me just to write it down because writing is very therapeutic Mm -hmm. very uh very insightful that uh, 
I guess one would never know that you started out here in America, but yet um, you went on, you know, to to overcome something that was really setting you back, which was like you stated earlier, you were you were trying to to learn the language and trying to you know set into a a new environment that would allow for you to uh, to be able to flourish and grow. And so with some of your earlier work, even as a child, I mean, are you, are you still looking to, to put that body of work out for the public, you know, viewing or, or is that something you have not considered thinking about? I have some stuff that goes back to high school or early uh, college days, but I had a binder and I would carry this binder with me wherever I went. And it had all my poetry. Mm-hmm. And in, if anybody's been to Chicago, you know, it's extremely windy there. <laughs> 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 I dropped in. Uh, there's a place that's like six corners. It's Milwaukee and Division. And I think it's uh, what's the street? It's another street. I forgot the name of it. And I my binder fell. Mm-hmm. It opened up and all my poetry what it just flew away. Wow. I wanted to cry. <laughs> but I said, you know, I was not meant to hold on to that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So um I needed to let it go and start writing again. And it's weird how there are things in life you have to learn. Mm-hmm. And me reading my poetry, I saw, wow, I have not let go of the same thing. Mm-hmm. I have, I read some of this, this poetry that I wrote 20 years ago, and I'm, I'm still writing about the same thing. Right. Different perception of it. Mm-hmm. But that means I haven't gotten over it. Sure. So that's why I'm doing In Time of Need. That's why I did Raw. Raw, Mm -hmm. Inspire Me Raw, is very raw emotions. It's just Mm -hmm. out there. I have people come up to me and say, did this really happen to you? Some of it is true, yes. Some Mm -hmm. of it I I witness happening. Mm -hmm. And, but yes, I, I do have some of it. Some of it doesn't apply, like, you know, the heartaches of a teenager when you like a guy or in your 20s, what you're going through. I have some of that. It has never been edited. Mm-hmm. So I'll see. I could do one that has to do with, you know, through the decades or something like that. <laughs> right, right, right. Well, you know, one of the things that you've kind of gone off and you've pursued, which you just recently um, launched this year, uh, is your uh, poetic resurrection. It's your it's your it's your podcast. So. Yes. Let's talk a little bit about about that and what the the focus of your podcast is is about, you know, and how it embodies uh, poetry. Yes, I started it this year. I've been wanting to do a podcast for a while. I just didn't know how I was going to address it or mm-hmm. what the subject. I didn't want to do an acting one because I think there's enough of those around. Sure. I wanted to see what is important to me that I thought would be helpful to others, and seeing people donate their time at the food banks or marching for Black Lives Matter. Mm -hmm. And I'm sitting at home and I'm like, 
I'm not doing anything to help society. Yes, I'm, but at the same time, I'm very much for the betterment of society. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I decided to do Poetic Resurrection. I was trying to find a name for it. And I said, you know what? Let's do, why am I fighting what I already do? Sure. And I decided to name it Poetic Resurrection, the same thing as my website for poetry. And I exploring perceptions. Because what mm-hmm. I've realized what's held me back in my life is my perceptions. Right. The idea of how I see things is not how somebody else does, but you assume they should know what you're thinking. Mm-hmm. So this is why, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm exploring perceptions. And it's an introspective look at self-reflecting questions. I'm not here to hit somebody over the head with a message. I just want you to ask yourself questions. And if you can walk away learning something and having more acceptance, because that's basically it. Once we accept ourselves and know that faults and all, and if we know what those faults are and we work on them, that's the most we can do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You can be a better person. Yeah. So I've interviewed people because we have a lot. uh, Two weeks ago, I did a, Perceptions of the Incarcerated. Right. I interviewed Luis Rodriguez, who used to be the the po- uh, poet laureate for the city of Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. And he has worked with the incarcerated people, teaching them how to write poetry. Mm-hmm. And it was a really, I, what I thought, I thought I could have people ask questions. But what I'm learning is that with all my guests, I'm learning so much about life itself and how my sure. perceptions are. Sure. So that's what that's what poetic resurrection is for. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we we you know and, and, and I appreciate you sharing that with uh with our listeners. Um we we talk a lot about acceptance mm-hmm. um and and the importance of acceptance. But yet we still have this current known as inequality, injustice, racism, you know, gender inequality. And the list of names just continue Mm -hmm. to go on and on. And so as we all start to look at acceptance individually on a case-by-case basis, Mm -hmm. sometimes, you know, we have to realize that acceptance starts with the person that you're looking at in the mirror every single day. Absolutely. Because as as hard as it is to cultivate change and to cultivate acceptance in anything that we do, we have to have the willingness, mind, body, soul, and spirit to basically check in to life in order to be successful. And, you know, I think it's great what you're, what you're doing and, and the approach that you're, you're taking, particularly as it relates to, to poetry, because I'm going to send you some featured guests. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. (laughs) And, and they're from all over the world. And I know they love poetry because uh, they tried to get me to go on a, on a, um, uh, a poetry retreat in, in the UK, uh, 
right before COVID even happened. And, and unfortunately my wife and I, we couldn't go, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's something that I know that they love in their heart of hearts. And, uh, there's probably uh, quite a few people in that group that would, would love to be on your program. So, uh, I'll make sure we, we put you in contact with those people for sure. I love that. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, that's, that's what, you know, all of this is all about for me. I mean, you, you know, you, you have your vision and goal that, that embodies acceptance, you know, great acceptance through poetry. You know, for me, it's always been about trying to create prosperity in a way that it's not about monetization. It's not about who has more than another. It's about unity. It's about togetherness. It's about compassion and empathy. And those things we have to hold not only on our chests and in our hearts, but we have to sometimes we have to carry those things on our sleeves. And a lot of people say, well, you should never wear your emotions on your sleeves. Well, you know what, people get out of your own way, because every now and then you need to just be real with yourself and be open, you know, and that's I very mean, hard. It's very hard. It's very, very hard. And, uh, you know, it's important also to know that we have to, to really kind of move beyond, you know, and, 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 and put ourselves in a situation where it's not just dreaming about it, it's actually doing it, you know? That's the and, thing. There's other perpetual learners that exactly. are always learning and learning and never applying. Exactly. Exactly. And so what your, what your movement, what your podcast focused on, you know, great acceptance and, uh, and of course, cut to the chase being focused on, you know, the courageous courage and the empathy and compassion and all those things that we focus in on, you know, I just hope that some, at some point in life, whether it's, uh, after I'm long and gone and people are listening to my body of work, or maybe they're listening to your body of work where they say, you know what? Podcasters really set the trend for the dynamics of where our nation and our world and society should go. Because when you don't have true conversation with people, when you don't let your guard down and you don't come to the playing table or come to the dinner table, whichever table you want to call it on an equal platform, then you miss out. You miss out on so many things as it relates to life. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, closing yourselves off is, is not always the proper way to, uh, to live life because you're not willing to accept no, you know? we want to change the people around us instead of changing ourselves. So many exactly. people t do self-help to change the other people. But no, it's called self-help for a reason. You have right. to change and accept yourself with faults and everything. And once you acknowledge who you really are, then you can work on it. But how That's can right. you work on something that you don't even know it exists? Yes, Stopping Absolutely. those negative thoughts. I was doing some research and the Queen's Col University in Canada states that we have 6,200 thoughts a day. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then the National, uh, the National Security Foundation states that 80% of them are negative. Right. So 
it, it is really hard. I mean, you have to catch yourself. And once you catch yourself, then it's better. And one of the things I really found helped me, because mm-hmm. since I grew up in poverty, and I'm not a rich person or anything like that, but mm-hmm. I grew up in poverty. And so I always felt lack. I don't mm-hmm. have this. I don't have that. And at one point in my life, I wanted to be a famous actor and buy cars and mansions and all of that. Mm-hmm. That is so unimportant to me now. Mm-hmm. Because I practice gratitude. And when Mm -hmm. I practice gratitude, I realize how much abundance I actually have. Mm -hmm. In fact, I wanted to get rid of things because I felt I had too much. Right. So it's really your perception on how you look at things. Right. I don't have to worry about material things. I'm willing to let go of them. They're just material things. Yes. You're not losing a loved one. You're not, I mean, not that I want to get robbed tomorrow. I need my computer to do my podcast, but (laughs) (laughs) But it, it's, you know, it's life. You cannot hold on to material things to add value to you. Material things will never add value to you. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Only you can add your own value. That's correct. That's correct. Well, Sonia, this has been, uh, this has been a uh, a very interesting kind of been a little bit of a zig and a zag some <laughs> educational things that you know I learned you know from myself particularly as it relates to some of the uniqueness uh, that goes on behind the scenes with with acting um, obviously you know it's been uh, great to to really hone in on some of the great things that you're doing with your podcast um, poetic resurrection. Um, and, and really looking at, you know, seeing that come to life, you know, for you and doing whatever, you know, we can as, as podcasters to really kind of help, you know, uplift one another and, and, and help make your program just as successful as, as you see it being successful, because that's what, uh, what the giving is, is kind of all about. And so as we begin to wrap up here, are there any final remarks that you would like to leave with our listeners, you know, particularly as it would relate to how poetry has changed your life? It made me more accepting mm-hmm. of myself because I realized I'm not the only one that's going through this. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I feel that with allowing yourself to be vulnerable to your audience, mm-hmm makes them feel like, okay, I'm, I'm okay. I right. could work on this. I could do this. I'm not the only one. Mm-hmm. When I did my first book, I had people coming up to me. It's like, I thought you were writing about me. And I'm, I was terrified. I thought I am going to be vulnerable and I'm going to be torn to shreds. Mm-hmm. And it was quite the opposite. Right. It was quite the opposite. So really work on being yourself, practice gratitude, we all have value, all of us, even the ones that have had the worst lives. We all have value. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You just have to know that you do. Yeah, yeah. Well, those are quite inspiring words, and uh, we certainly appreciate you being on the show. Uh, we look forward to perhaps collaborating on some of the other great perceptions of time that uh, that. <laughs> that that basically uh, we can do at a later date uh, but this is this is quite insightful you know as it relates to 
a lot of the different uh, dimensions of, of your life and your life's journey and, of course, your body of work. And then, of course, just really, you know, digesting, you know, and having a complete understanding of different perspectives and different perceptions of life, just like you, you stated earlier, you know, as, as, as you sit back in your host chair on your podcast and you're listening to your featured guests, you, you, you find those nuggets and those gems that really fulfill you and touch your heart. And, uh, you know, I am much uh, appreciative and grateful that uh, you decided to join us uh, for this segment and, and gave us the ability to be able to collaborate for this moment of time. So, so thank you very much. No, and I'm so honored that you have me on your show. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, uh, you know, before we wrap up completely, how can people reach out and, uh, you know, obtain, you know, your poetry books, um, some of your publications, you know, how, how would they be able to do that? Well, my website is poeticresurrection.com. My mm-hmm. podcast is on Podbean, but it could be, you could listen to it on Apple iTunes, Google Music, Amazon, iHeart. It's basically available everywhere. Mm-hmm. And just uh, you sign up for my newsletter on my website, and I will be given away. Right now, I'm uh, accumulating it. So that's basically it. All my books are available on Amazon. Okay. All right. Well, thank you very much. I'm sure that uh, at least to the people that I'm thinking about, I want to uh, introduce you to. They will They will certainly want to <laughs> do their own due diligence and uh, – and uh, and reach out to you, and hopefully uh, there will be a an inspiring moment with them as well. Um, but thank um, you for that. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, I, I there's certainly there's one lady in mind that I absolutely know that uh, you know we were kind of chatting about this earlier, but uh, you will probably want to consider. Um, scripting out your your plan of attack with her. Oh, okay. <laughs> Is that a warning? <laughs> Lovely lady, I love her to death. She's like a mom to me, but uh she really loves poetry and uh the perception of time and talking about various themes of relevant rele- relevance, you know, as they have been represented not only in society and on the political front. I mean, she is, uh, she's a powerhouse and, uh, I love her for that. So, uh, so I think it'll be, uh, it'll be a good introduction and obviously it'll be a, a good podcast if you guys manage to figure out how to collaborate on one. Yes. That is perfect. Yeah, absolutely. Perfect. Thank you. Alrighty, so uh, this has been episode 122. Yep, episode 122. We are zipping through the episodes. <laughs> Alright, so this has been episode 122 entitled Just Sonia. I'm your host, Gregory Proctor. This has been Cut to the Chase podcast. At the end of every podcast, please be safe, maintain compassion, in- empathy, and by all means, Let's figure out how to make this world a better place. Thank you very much, everyone. Take care and bye-bye.
Thanks for tuning in to Cut to the Chase. Stay connected with us on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and LinkedIn at Cut to the Chase. You'll also find even more great content on our website at www.k2tcpodcast.com. Thank you and catch you on the next episode.